Hey, I'm here at Freddy's in Las Vegas, Nevada to give it a try. Okay, so I wanted to put on a nicer shirt to make this announcement because it's very serious. That may very well be the best fast food hamburger in America. It is better than Shake Shack. It is better than Five Guys. And as odd as this sounds to say, it may be as good or better than In-N-Out. We will all have to do more research. Hey everybody, uh, today's guest is he's a writer for The Simpsons, executive producer and showrunner of season 7 and 8, along with Josh Weinstein, co-creator of Mission Hill, and most recently, executive producer on Disenchantment and Instagram Thought. Uh, folks, it's Bill Oakley. Hey, Bill. Hello. <laughs> nice, nice to talk to you guys. Great to have you on, and we are all very excited about your latest star turn online to talk to a fellow creative oh influence <laughs> that's terrific i'm delighted i can't possibly tell you how thrilling it is to be recognized as an online force <laughs> and and maybe get invited to the next fire festival or something like that <laughs> I, I can only hope you you uh in, the, in a car eating one of those uh cheese sandwiches that they were serving to everyone oh yeah man i would have had a blistering review but maybe i wouldn't on the other hand, maybe I wouldn't get invited if I was too critical, so I got to be careful with that kind of stuff, I guess. We're the same way. We we eat disgusting political opinions. <laughs> it's true. Oh my god, it's true. Uh so why, you know, uh, you had been uh an Emmy multiple Emmy award winner with a, a prosperous career in Hollywood. Why did you make the turn to being an influencer? Okay, well, first of all, let me say this is not <laughs> this isn't really a career turn. It doesn't pay anything. I have not really Yet any money for it um it's, it's really for my hobby whereas other guys my age probably be out playing golf or doing something like that um this is this is my hobby and i it's previously uh i just kind of posted my opinions on twitter and then um about a year ago i decided hey you know these the tweet the, twi- the tweets are getting too long and complicated why don't i just film myself with my phone and um put it on instagram and i started doing that and it, it kind of took off from there um it's really just kind of like, as I said, my hobby, because I am very opinionated about fast food and convenience food and condiments and all that stuff. And, you know, my family was getting sick of hearing me talk about that <laughs> stuff. So I decided to direct it towards the general public and, and they're and they're eating it up. That's exactly That's how exactly I got into like podcasting. Us, right? My wife <laughs> said, for the love of God, shut the fuck up about politics. We alienated those around us and found ourselves unable to function in the modern world, so we had to find an outlet for our opinions. And, uh, and, a, and a community of the likewise um, socially maladroit and alienated. So you're, I, you know, so Bill, you're kind of like us in that if the cameras weren't rolling, you would you would still be doing this. Absolutely, I you know, I was doing it for years before the cameras started rolling, um, and I'm still doing it. I mean, I only put about half the stuff that I discover online just for fear of like overwhelming the system. You know, how did the the fast food? You say you're passionate about fast and convenience food. How did the uh, the hobby in your role as sort of a uh, food critic of uh, mass uh, consumptibles, uh, how did that begin? You know, I think that just to psychoanalyze it a bit, I barely got any fast food when I was a kid. <laughs> you know, this is the thing. I, I'm overcompensating huh. for the lack of fast food in video games. Like when I was a little kid, like they had only just kind of invented Atari and stuff like that and arcade games. But 
we didn't have any anywhere within like 50 miles of us. And I never got one. And the same with fast food restaurants like back. Cause we lived out in the country, like really up uh, near like the rural uh, Maryland, Pennsylvania border. And like, so I never got to go like for my birthday, the biggest treat in the world would be to drive 50 miles to Baltimore or, or, or DC and go to McDonald's. So I never had that. And I never had video games. And now I'm overcompensating for both, I think is the psycho history of this, of this project. So you're like, you're like an Amish kid on rum Springer who goes nuts. <laughs> yeah. But I, it's been, it's been like 30 straight years of rum Springer now. So hell yeah. It's interesting because you know, I've, it's always interesting when I meet someone from, you know, a, a different uh, socioeconomic background who says, yeah, growing up, I've never ate fast food. And I've, I've, that is completely alien to my experience in this country. Yeah, my 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 most vivid fast food memories are stealing change from my dad's dresser to drive my bike to Taco Bell. Where oh, you man. Get, where, where you get a beef soft taco for 39 cents. Preposterous. And that is every food group. That is a full meal in, in a little in a little pocket. It's amazing. I'm going to uh, show my age here, but I think my uh, clearest fast food childhood memory was uh, there was a Burger King on 82nd and Broadway uh, where I grew up. And when I would go there as a kid, there used to be a smoking section in the Burger <laughs> oh, man. King. And they would have like molded plastic ashtrays like, yes. in, built into built the table. Built into the table. I remember those too. So nothing like that. I would, I would love to go to the, the BK with my mom or dad. Flame broiled and, whopper, And they baby. would just always be like, don't, don't look at the smoking section. Don't look at those people. <laughs> just keep walking. Don't make eye contact with them. Uh, what I noticed about your reviews, Bill, is that even if, you, even if you're kind of down on this dish, you're still very sunny and pleasant about it. Oh, yeah. You're kind of like the anti-John Podhoritz in this way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a lot of delightful encounters with food. It's like, hey, even if I didn't love it, it was I'm out of my house and it tastes decent. I'm glad to hear you guys say that. I've gotten so many uh, people. I think people like my general demeanor. Like I've gotten so many. The most common communication I get is like, this really cheered me up when I was depressed. <laughs> or like if, if you were like, if you're like, depressed you've got to watch 50 bill oakley reviews in a row and like <laughs> i really like that i'm i'm pleased and and also a lot of people call me dad too which is a little weird <laughs> oh like, like oakley is like, daddy folks think of me as yeah in fact one guy said that the, the genre of my videos was extreme dad core <laughs> and like i i didn't I, i'll take it i'll accept it that's anyway, another so, thing we have in common a lot of people call me dad on instagram too <laughs> i was wondering bill speaking about disposition and style do you have any inspirations among your fellow uh, car food reviewers? I'm thinking specifically of someone like, I don't know, Joey's World Tour. Have you ever watched his videos? I have. I've watched all those other guys' videos. And, and the Weekend and Review Kid in the suit? Yeah, they, they, I love the kid in the suit. Who do you think is your be the best one other than you, of course? You know, I don't, want, I, I, I don't want to say, and I don't watch them. I never watch them all the way through because I don't want to... I don't want to unconsciously crib stuff from them. First yeah. of all, I got to say, those guys are titans. Like those guys have literally have hundreds of thousands, if not millions of subscribers on YouTube. And I only have like, you know, 13,000 on Instagram. So like, I'm a, I guess I'm kind of a rarefied thing. And those guys are, they connected to You're a the giant Velvet underground. Audience. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I'm not trying to copy them in any way. And in fact, my inspiration is usually more like food network style stuff where I, I'm like, the corniness of the way that Food Network shows are edited with their and scored is a lot of what I try to do. Is like it's more like Guy Fieri. I yeah, think that I'm you're like a normcore Guy Fieri. That's what. That's kind. Of, well, thank you. That's what I wanted to hear. <laughs> <laughs> 
Bill, the uh, you mentioned that you know people uh, find find your reviews very uh, uplifting and, and positive, and it's sort of like uh, you know just slipping into like a like a nice warm blanket, you know, getting like all snuggled up. But usually, the the format of shall we say sort of dad aged white guy sitting alone in a car addressing <laughs> a camera on his phone is usually those are usually marked by uh, rage. And uh, yeah, I know others, right? I was just going to say that. I was just going to say that. I think that people draw so. I don't. This was not the attention of my reviews. People draw some comfort from seeing a fifty-year-old white guy who is not furious. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And like, absolutely. Yeah. I think that like, I'm a I'm a fifty-year-old white guy, fifty-three-year-old white guy who is is kind of is appears to be having a good time and is friendly <laughs> and outgoing and introducing you to these new dishes, as opposed to almost every other guy my age who is. Furious about something and just won't shut up about it, you know. Like, yeah, these, these I, I think you know who we're talking about. Oh yeah, I, 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 I hope that I never, there never comes the day where I check in on a Bill Oakley review and you have shaved your head and have a beard. Yeah, if the Democratic yeah. Party really does want to try to claw back these Trump voters or appeal to a tiny sliver of an aggrieved white electorate, I think they need Bill's style. Yeah, it's like, oh, you're so mad. There are abundance of treats just out by the interstate. Mile, a miracle mile of, of delights and, and, and treats for the senses. I think that's. I think that you guys are onto something. Why don't we? Why don't we get into the specifics of some some oh, of yeah. America's real shit and regional fast food chains? The stuff our fans love to hear about. Yeah. Um, what, 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 Wait, what are, do your fans love to hear about it, or do they? Are you? No, they're gonna love hearing about it from about you. It. They hate it when we talk about it. So we're oh, getting okay. you in right. here to be sort of the voice of God to cut through the muddle. Uh, okay. Bill, what, 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 in your opinion, is the best national fast food chain? And what is the best like sort of regional gem? And then what's like the hot newcomer? Yeah, this is really difficult, guys, because the, the, there's so many different things that constitute region and national. Like mm, you yeah. know, White Castle is, is not is really more regional. Yeah. And like Carl's Jr. slash Hardee's are both two regional things, but they combine into one thing. So I'm going to have yeah. to tell you that I think the only one that covers the whole country that I would say is the absolute best at the moment is Wendy's. Ooh, ooh. ooh OK. Yeah. OK. Now that spicy chicken sandwich is one of the best fast food items ever I, I always get the spicy chicken sandwich when I go to Wendy's. People say it's, the burgers are good, but I always feel I like if I order the burger, I'm going to hit myself afterwards and say I should have got the chicken. I'd say don't sleep on the burg. But, Maybe I'll get one of those tiny burgs to go with the chicken. But let me actually. say that McDonald's has done an incredible job of um, improving their offerings over the past two years, and I yeah. think they could overtake Wendy's with a few more novelty items, you know? They have, but they've had a lot of misfires, like that weird large Big Mac. Oh, the Big King, or no, uh, the the, the yeah. Grand Mac Grande Grand, or something. Big Mac Grand. Yeah, I tried that. It was just way too bit much. It this was is the way too McDonald's much. I, it was I, like eating a fucking frisbee covered in mayonnaise. Wait a second, I must yeah. have, I must have missed this. McDonald's uh, they, they rolled out three a three tiered system. There was a mini Mac that was just one patty on a bun. Then there was the classic Mac, and then there was. The Grande Mac. And I got the Grande Mac yeah, once. Yeah, me too. And it was one of the worst decisions in my life, and I felt so it was, sick It's afterwards. just way too big. The problem is that the regular Big Mac, they do recognize that that's a little too small, but they went too big. They didn't find the right point. Okay, so what about what about like a, a sort of a gem, the, the, uh, a fast food franchise that maybe not uh, everyone okay. is lucky enough to live near or know this, about? Yeah. This is a no-brainer for me. Now, the thing is, there's dozens of ones that, are, that that people love that I have never been to. Like, for instance, Whataburger, Culver's, 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 Culver's is I would, so good. I would love though, to try them, but I can't. I can't speak to them for this particular thing. What I would say is, it is a tie 
between In-N-Out Burger mm. and Freddy's Steak Burgers. I, see, um, after your review of Freddy's, I was like, damn, I have to find one of those places. I've never heard of Freddy's. Yeah, I've never even heard of I've Freddy's. I've seen it on we the were, highway, but I'd never been to one. And we were out- all over the place in the Midwest and stuff. And like the one I went to was Las Vegas, but it was so memorable that like I still hi- I still consider it one of the highlights of my year. All right, when we take the West uh, Coast swing, we're going. Besides Culver's, what do you look for uh, the most? What do you what do you crave the most that you haven't had access to? Besides Culver's, Brahms. Have you guys ever heard of Brahms? No. What a burger. Uh, Zaxby's. Raising. Mm. Oh yeah, I want to try Zaxby's. I've had Raising Cane's. How was it? It's pretty good. The 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 star is the sauce. The tenders are nice. They're pretty ten. They are tender, but you know they're kind of standard issue. Uh, but the sauce is what makes it. Okay. Uh, and also, like you know what, I would like to be able to go to Chick Fil A. You know, but I'm sick of this crap with them. And like just this morning, another thing came out with another expose on all their donations to these anti-LGBTQ causes and I'm like god damn it you know I really do the a couple times I've been there I really like the food but I'm sick of this shit from them yeah. thank you yeah they're out of pocket <laughs> it's but yeah but I mean just it's genuinely good chicken. it is very good um, absolutely uh bill okay those those are the good ones but I think you know just as interesting are the real disasters so what, give me give me the absolute worst uh fast food experience and then also what is like the the most ludicrous like single fast food menu item that's been uh the most disastrous in your opinion okay of the ones i have had this year you know there's so many okay first of all almost every new thing at burger king has sucked over the past year (laughs) and like it's it goes without saying like burger king is really like something is wrong they have lost burger kings in my area where it's clear that like the person who owns them is just letting them decay until they all burn down and you can get the insurance money. <laughs> so they're going to be like blockbuster video or yeah. something? Yeah, it's just like that. Um, the Kurt Burger then, King is being deposed. Yeah, I was wondering about that because I also live by a bum, a bum Burger King. And yeah. I, I didn't know if this is a national rot or if it's localized. Well, their stock is going, I don't know what they're doing, but like every week they have some new crazy item and they're uniformly bad. I don't know what's up with them, but their stock is going up. Something is weird in this in their business. Anyway, uh, uh, that's a uh, drug trade. The worst thing I had all year was these the Fruit Loop mini donuts at Carl's Jr. Ugh. Ugh. Um, you guys, and and this like was Ooh, controversial I too because I now. people some people really like them, and you, you guys don't have Carl's Jr. in New York, but you have Hardee's, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Hardee's also had them, I think, and basically what they were were their donuts. They're, they're called mini donuts. They were the size of those standard mini donuts you get from Hostess, but they were they were flavored and 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 decorated to be like fruit loops they looked like giant fruit loops like you were like you're taking a fruit loop um you know from the cereal bowl and blown it up to 100 times it's like honey i shrunk the kids yeah like you're floating around in the ball with a lightsaber i mean the thing is they tasted like actual fruit loops but like that amount of that particular texture and flavor in your mouth at once was repulsive to me i've never been to a hardy's or a carl carl's jr and not for lack of access I've just never had an impulse to go we there. We would go when I was a kid. Uh, like a Friday night, my mom would take us to Hardy's. It was Hardy's. It was either Hardy's, sometimes Taco Bell, or Ponderosa Steakhouse for the Ooh. buffet. Uh, but we got, and we would go, and I liked it, but they had, a, they, had an, uh, they had a roast beef sandwich back then that was like an Arby's one. And uh-huh. when I got, the bun was soaking wet. And so that's the last Wait. time I've been to Hardee's. Okay, in a bad way. It wasn't yeah. soaking wet with delicious beef oh, juice. Oh, no. No, it was okay. just moist. It was just that's wet. Awful. I did live by a Checkers, and I, I, I always thought growing up that Checkers was a regional chain. And it wasn't until getting older when I saw something called a Rally's using rallies. the same yeah. iconography. But it is, 
it is rallies and checkers is not an it's like i've never seen one uh you've never seen i think it. they're more east coast they are okay i guess they are more yeah. east coast and the then. thing is, is i don't think they're divided geographically because i think there's checkers and rallies in new york right so why is that then just different branding. I, I don't know. It's weird. But why? But, why is why is White Castle Crystals in the South? I don't know. I I mean I don't oh, no, know. White, those are two different businesses. They're real similar, but they are oh. two different. Businesses, someone should sue someone else because they have identical fucking sandwiches. What I'm getting <laughs> at is, I mean, I guess that makes sense then if if Checkers is regional because I was always, I always wondered why that Checkers never really entered the national consciousness because it is unique and good in my opinion. They're pretty good. The fries are great. Yeah. yeah, that's what I've heard. And they have that he's selling frozen too. Can I offer a quick rallies take? That I remember rallies was regional where I grew up in Cincinnati and uh I remember that they had a commercial that would play that it was one of my all time favorite business slogans, which was rallies. You gotta eat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which was the absolute just like lowest statement of consumption and desire in in society that I could ever imagine an advertiser giving. Rallies, that's one meal down. <laughs> Okay, just for the for people who really want to know the difference, they're checkers in the southeast and rallies in the Midwest, uh-huh. but they're owned by the same giant corporation. Bill, um, as long as they're like the, the genres of you know fast food themed videos and social media, I'm wondering, uh, do you follow any of the? There's not like a single account that curates these, but it's really more just of a genre of videos made by uh, fast food employees um, documenting the just absolute anarchy of working in a fast food restaurant. I'm talking about, you know, fist fights with customers, yeah. people screaming, yeah. and my personal favorite, people at the drive-thru passing you blunts while they're ordering. <laughs> Those, you know, I've, I've seen them. I try to avoid watching too many things that are behind the scenes just because I, w- I don't want to destroy the magic uh, of fast food. <laughs> You know, it's like watching behind the scenes stuff at Disneyland. It, it, it somehow deflates the magic a little bit for me to know what actually goes on behind the scenes. You don't want to pierce the veil. You want to be immersed on one side of the spectacle. Exactly. Exactly. And that's, you know, I'll say that actually happens. It still happens to me with movies and TV. Like I, I had never worked in movies, so I can still go to movies and not sit there. And I can I can go to movies and be thoroughly entertained and not be like, oh, they rewrote they wrote that scene wrong. That was shot wrong. TV, I don't have that pleasure. So you're trying to preserve, uh, you know, fast food as kind of an oasis of uh, sort of um, instinctual, sort of uncritical reflection and just pure experience. Exactly. I think you got it. Bill, what would you tell our audience to go check out right now? Because I think a lot of people will be listening to this and think, you know, I got I got to get some fast food. Okay, I would say these are the things I would suggest to check out right now. McDonald's bacon and cheese fries. Like they yes, introduced all their, their new bacon stuff. The bacon and cheese fries are the are the jewel in the crown of the new McDonald's offerings. And I don't think they're going to be around actually for long. So those also at Wendy's, Wendy's has introduced these three new burgers, which I think are called the craveable burgers. And one of them is like a barbecue and one of them is like a, a mushroom type thing. Um, they're all really good. Also, we got a lot of good fish items out because it's Lent. Uh, it, Wendy's has a great fish sandwich that I reviewed a few weeks ago. And I'm also told that the Arby's fish sandwich is terrific, although I haven't been out there to see it. So of all the things that um, are currently out there in the mix, uh, those are like the five, I guess, or five or six that interesting, I would Interesting fun fact about the bacon uh, ch- cheese fries at McDonald's is the reason that McDonald's has this, uh, this bacon uh, – bumper crop uh, on their menu they've got the bacon fries they have they're adding bacon to the big mac for a limited time the reason that they have that the reason they're able to buy all this bacon which is usually too expensive for a fast food uh, inventory 
is because largely because of the uh the tariff war with china that trump has because <laughs> there's slap the chinese slapped a retaliatory tariff on pork that closed the chinese market to american pork exports leaving a huge glut of pork they could only sell domestically which led the price to plummet mcdonald's swooped in and bought a ton of pork to make all of these bacon items that um, I, that's I, also why we get the mcrib but they claim although we the mcrib disappeared in late november but we did have it for a couple of months back then. And it's like, I, I apparently it is tied to these pork prices because McDonald's p- purchases things in such vast quantity that they totally swing the commodities markets around yeah. when they do it. So um, anyway, yeah, <laughs> enjoy the bacon while you can get it. Yeah. So you're telling me if you could predict when the McRib was coming back, then you could predict a swing <laughs> in pork prices. I'm telling you, there could be like a trading places style manipulation. <laughs> That's exactly of the what I'm market. Of. Yeah. There's yeah, money to be uh, made, boys. In this. The grimaces are cornering the pork belly market. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a Virgil, you bring up bring up Grimace, but uh Bill, who is your who is your favorite or just uh, least favorite or most disturbing uh fast food mascot mm. or character? You know, that's a good question. I hmm. Let me. I have to think. About I mean, like the the you you mentioned that you know a Burger King is just basically a you know terrifying a, a, a dying a uh, rictus <laughs> death mask in your yeah, face. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. But that that BK King was uh, very popular, but I found it um extremely disturbing. hated those commercials. When you wake up and he'd just be staring at you in the bed next to you, what the fuck? I mean, like that that marked for me like a like an era in American advertising where like. All the shit that like Tim and Eric Awesome Show yes, was satirizing, absolutely. like just became advertising yeah. where they're trying yeah. to make you feel yeah. weird. And it's so amazing. It's like Tim and Eric made that stuff to parody the weird, uncanny feeling of watching commercials and exaggerate it for comedy. And then commercials looked, looked at that and then made it even more like that. It's amazing. You're totally right. I mean, that's, you know, I have to say that the one character that I like is Mayor McCheese. I got, <laughs> <laughs> none of the other characters really stick. Stick with me, except for Mayor McCheese, who's really dignified. <laughs> He's classy. He represents also the McDonald's cheeseburger, which is probably my favorite item. I believe he does. He's not the Big Mac guy. The policeman is the Big Mac guy. Yeah, Big Mac's a cop. I hate him. <laughs> Fuck that. Fuck that cop. All cops, all Big Mac cops all are cops are burgers. <laughs> oh, uh, oh, Bill, do you, remember, do you remember when McDonald's came out with like a cool, sexy hamburger? Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was just like three or four years yeah, ago, right? Yeah, They were like, get, oh, get, get this. It's the hamburger, but you want to fuck him. He's cool. It was <laughs> He's like, like a cool he, he hipster, hipster dad. He was, lived in the suburbs, but he's still cool. He's like Beto O'Rourke. Did he do crimes? He was. He only threatened to. They only did one ad where there was like he's in his man cave. It looks like a serial killer movie because he's got a, like a man cave in his in his garage, like Dennis Rader with all of his trophies from when he was the Hamburglar. And then there's yeah. a report about how the Hamburglar. Where is he? Is he going to come back? And then he puts he grabs his outfit. But then they never had another ad because everyone was like, "What the fuck is this?" And they're like, "Yeah, never mind." <laughs> you guys like the grimace, right? <laughs> no, I I love the idea of the Hamburglar coming back for one big score. Yeah. you know, they never did it. They were, I think, they were gonna tease like, yeah, a, a, a narrative where they're doing like a Rafifi style heist with <laughs> yeah. a bunch of burgers, but it never happened. I, it's like I it's, got it. If you guys. If you Google sexy hamburger, you get the full lowdown on this thing, and there's a photo of him. And it's from 2015. Like, I yeah. people were also saying he was kind of a hipster yeah. hamburger. And I feel like he was another thing that was kind of washed away in the election of 2016. Like, that at least 
having worked worked on Portlandia for several years, I felt like the whole hipster thing. In, you never heard about it again after the election of Donald Trump. That's true. Like, yeah. There was yeah. so much like abuse of hipsters and jokes about hipsters and hipster hipster things. And then like I think it just like disappeared. Like yeah. I, I just think it's like better things to worry about. I think it's because hipster like the word and it's just one of those like things that if, like the definition became so elastic. It just covered like basically every young white person yeah. in the country. And like that elastic band has sort of snapped, but it's just been replaced with like. SJW. Well, that's or the thing is because Snowflake hipster, or, yeah. hipster, the implication of hipster, this is why Gamak McGinnis is so, was so hard for people to understand him and why he was able to fly under the radar for so long. It's because he had the appearance of a hipster, and there was an under, unspoken assumption about hipsters that they were like liberal, that they were like urbanites who were cosmopolitan sophisticates and at least bog standard liberal to leftists. And so now. When like Trump is president and you've got the eruption of, you know, the seething mass of angry car dads and their shitty sons and MAGA hats, you have to like no longer is this hipster chunk of white maledom the enemy. It's like you have to have an uneasy alliance with them, you know. I just think it's like, yeah, hipster used to mean like every white person like under 40 who lived in a city. And now like that, like that. You know, like even that's too specific now, and now it's just every young person in the country of any race, gender, or location. Yeah. Millennial, that, yeah, yeah, millennial. There millennial you go. Millennial yeah. took over for hipster. Yeah, there you go. Like, so, like that's why you see like all the boomer memes about like eating Tide Pods yeah. and how you know socialism will have you eating rats or whatever. Like that's all. Yeah, it's all millennial hate. It's just the entire generation now <laughs> has been hipsterfied. That's an interesting point, and I, I I actually want to follow up on that in the next part of this. But, but before we get to that. Bill, I was hoping that you would do us the honor of adjudicating our various fast food controversies. Absolutely. If there's anything I like to do, it's express opinions about fast food. So shoot. Okay. First off, as an aside, I, I just really quickly, I just want to get your Arby's take. I think our, okay. I, may, I think I did a video about this, but I want to be extremely clear. Uh, Arby's be has been made fun of for way too long. By the Simpsons. By the Simpsons. Pretty good. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't. Well, first of all. <laughs> <laughs> Sir, I, I, I have this I clip. <laughs> I'm so hungry I could eat at Arby's. Oh, my oh, gosh. gosh. You hungry. Really hungry. I don't think I put those jokes in. But in any case, I wasn't I, I hadn't seen the light, really, to be honest, until this year. I was amongst those. And I honestly think that John Stewart is to blame for yeah. a lot of Arby's being thought of as just crappy because he every night he would use it as the punchline of a joke, and like just because the name, the sound, the it's sound funny, is funny. Yeah. Arb, you got a big the sound. Of the there, word yes. Arb is funny. It's much funnier than saying Burger King yeah. or Carl's Jr. because you go Arby's, yeah. and it somehow tickles your brain in a funny way. But I will say that since I've been doing these fast food reviews, I've been to Arby's three or four times, and yes. every single time it was terrific. Preach, preach, preach. Arby's is fantastic. Horsey sauce is the single best condiment available in an American fast food chain. And they've gotten smart by hiring H. John oh. Benjamin as, yes. as their mascot. Yes. And, yeah. and the fucking Euro, delicious. Season I would say meat. also they have – they can every month or two they have something new and interesting. Like for, they had the duck sandwich back in like, huh. in like the fall. Oh, yes. Which I, I had that. and like – uh, and they're always good. So, like, I think that Arby's is the most underrated, and it's been criminally abused just because of its funny name. Damn right. So, back to our personal quarrels. <laughs> uh, first up, my contention that Taco Bell is healthy. I is there Wait, a second? I, side to this? I think you should. I think you should elaborate. I think <laughs> and you should it's advance not just your healthy, case. It's healthy and delicious, like a delicious choice. 
Not a last resort. Well, well one might <laughs> contention that it's delicious. I mean, I, I take that as a postulate, basically. Like, if you, you had it. I agree. I would agree that Taco Bell is delicious. I like it. I didn't put it in my top national chain because I'm really, frankly, partial to hamburgers. Mm-hmm. But I, I always like Taco Bell every time I go there. I've never had uh, a bad Taco Bell experience. And, and my, is it healthy? My, my, food? That's, well, that's my, my argument is, as, as Matt uh, said earlier, an individual dish at Taco Bell will contain vegetables. It will contain dairy. It will contain protein, valuable roughage. <laughs> that's true of a hamburger as well. It's the, I think the quantities are higher because you can you get a Taco Supreme at Taco Bell. You, you bite into the top of it. You're just eating vegetables. <laughs> that's a salad. <laughs> Bill, I want to be clear here that um, these, these disputes that you're adjudicating here aren't really disputes. They're just sort of like interventions. They're just sort of edicts that Virgil has issued, you know, to our bafflement and astonishment. So uh, please continue, though. OK, Taco Bell, at least uh, up till recently, had that menu, that healthy menu. You remember that? Oh, like yes. The, Fresca, the cantina the, I, I style. Yeah, I don't know if they still have that. No, they, they do, killed but... it because they realized people who go to Taco Bell think they're immortal. Or they want to kill themselves. <laughs> and either way, they don't want chunks of avocado in their guacamole and all that Chipotle bullshit. If they want that, they go to Chipotle. Locally, they, they st- want to put a sodium gun to their heads and pull the trigger. Locally, they still have it, but go on. This is what I would say. I, I wouldn't say it's healthy. I would say it could be healthier if you don't overeat. I think mm-hmm. the thing about Taco Bell is that when I, there, I go there, I'm tempted to have two or three different things every time. Yeah. And, yeah. and so I think if you go there and you were to simply have your bean burrito or your Taco Supreme – it would probably not be healthy, but it would be less caloric than a meal at, at Wendy's or McDonald's. Well, wait a minute. Wait a minute here. Let's try to do as best we can an apples to apples <laughs> comparison. Uh, let's say you get a Chalupa Supreme and compare that against a quarter pounder. What's more nutrition? Jesus Christ. That's a tough call, man. You're really slicing it. Because a quarter pounder is just, it's just meat wait and minute, cheese. Wait a minute. This isn't an argument. You could just look at the nutritional information for the two dishes and answer it objectively. I'm saying you're getting greens. <laughs> In lettuce doesn't really count. Iceberg lettuce doesn't really count as green. Not a lot of man. nutrients you know that. there. Yeah, you know but, that. I, but it still has, has a regulative effect on your digestive system. <laughs> I I Virgil, nothing is regulating your digestive system, dude. You have the you have, least regulated the digestive system. Digestive system. Your, your digestive system is the purge. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, yeah, my, I have, a, way, I have a libertarian digestive By the way, system. by the way, again, like, uh, you know, argument for the defense here. Virgil said, and we let it pass, I have never had a bad experience with Taco <laughs> Bell. Yet that does not account to the many, many after effects that your body is still clear, is clearly ravaged by. Yeah. That uh, is the result. You're just of not Taco blaming Bell. it on Taco Hang Bell. on a tick. Hang on a tick. I find that funny because you know this is actually uh, 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 this bit that Neil Hamburger does, which is retweet people <laughs> who say, yeah, you know, yeah. I got diarrhea at yes. Taco Bell, and that's kind of. I I actually think that has no, you know scientific basis i think that also has just been a smear much like the arby's smear for the past few decades that oh yeah taco bell you get diarrhea well he's neil hamburger he's okay. going at his computers in the taco while industry. you guys while you guys were talking i looked up the nutrition information Thank and God. here we go yes. it's extremely close Ooh, you know the, the mcdonald the quarter pounder has 417 calories the chalupa supreme has 350 the fat and saturated fat are nearly identical the um Jesus Christ, the vitamins. This is really pathetic. <laughs> okay. It, you get a lot more vitamin A in, in the Chalupa, yes. Oh, and you get okay. – no. Actually, you know what? You get a lot more iron. It depends on your vitamin makeup. You get a lot more iron and a <laughs> lot more – Do you need D or do you need iron? Do you need the D or do you need iron? I, I, I'm going to say that the quarter pounder might actually be Boom. healthier. You get a lot Drop more iron, a lot more, more face. Protein. 
dropped in your science, science rules. And they, all right, so there's one other one I alluded to earlier. Sorry about that. The other one that Virgil believes and that we've yelled at him about over over and over again is that Subway is obje- is good. That Subway is a choice to make above other choices for your fucking lunch. Like you would take cho- Subway as a number one option because it's that tasty. No, that's not my argument. What? Go my ahead. argument is, uh, first off, that Subway is categorically fast food, right? So we're going to compare it to other yeah. fast food offerings. Yes. Within that tier, Subway is objectively the healthiest option without being like, you know, a gross salad or something. That's correct. There's no also, thought about that. You think it's that, good, I, though? Yeah, I also I think it's good. I completely agree with that. It's delicious. It is the, I would say there's no... Okay. As far as I'm concerned, there's no question that Subway is fast food. There's no question that it is healthier, or there are certainly healthier choices to be made yeah. at Subway. They have a gigantic menu of fairly healthy things, and if you avoid getting like a lot of unhealthy mayo and mm-hmm. stuff on it, you, you get can, there's vinegar like and olive oil. For things you can have that are fairly healthy there. You, I mean, you get but I don't like those things. I wouldn't want to get those things. <laughs> I would get those things. If I was on a diet, I would go there. That's the, there's no question that Subway is a good place to go if you're on a diet or you want to eat healthy, but you still want fast food. But when I go there, I want to have the meatball sub, yep. which is a, a huge, which is incredibly unhealthy but delicious. That's my the only thing there. That's what I crave from Subway, and it's the only thing. Well, see, so I'm just different in that aspect because when I go, I get the spicy Italian sandwich, which is toasted. It has uh, healthy Italian meats on it. And <laughs> They're not healthy. healthy meat. And you Pure get, meat is the meat. most carcinogenic type of meat. And you get. Uh, you get a whole, you know, handfuls of vegetables, of lettuce, tomato, and and spinach. You can get spinach on it. Spinach, spinach is one of the healthiest things you can eat. And <laughs> where else just, are you uh, getting that? So just eat spinach then. Yeah, it doesn't cancel out the planks of sodium enriched cured meat. If you really are that health conscious, swap out the the cured meat for uh, lean turkey. Yeah, but you don't do yeah, that. You can get that. That's totally like the dieter's depressing sandwich is the turkey sandwich. And that's you can absolutely do that at Subway. But like if if you weren't concerned about health or fat or whatever, you wouldn't choose to go to Subway, I think. Absolutely not. Absolutely. So what's the judgment here? (laughs) Because I think my contention is clear that Subway is good. I'm not saying like, oh, this is the most delicious thing you can get. Obviously, I'm not saying that. I'm saying on balance. Yeah. You know what? I would agree with you. Subway you. is fairly healthy and it is good, but it's good like it's a 71. It's not like in the 90s, you know, it's just barely it's good at the very bottom of the definition of the word good. But right. is it is it better than other comparable like uh, yeah, sandwich based exactly. no uh, way. franchises? No Thank way. You. It's not of all the sub sandwich places. It's the worst. Thank I'm you. Never argue- <laughs> Thank you. I've never argued otherwise. I'm saying just because a subway is so it's so pervasive. <laughs> They're like Starbucks. They're everywhere. You're right. not going to – look, look, this would – we would be having a different conversation if there were like 5,000 potbellies in the country. You know that. Right. That's true. Potbelly is very good. All I'm I glad know, we all agree the potbelly is very All I know good. is that uh, Virgil likes to share you know, photos of his Subway meals with us, and he'll blow up the group chat, and he will send us a photo – of a sandwich that basically looks like a gym sock stuffed with wet things. And he's like, mmm, eating good. Jealous? And I'm, I'm saying that this is an illness, that this is, this is a problem. That he's either doing it to annoy us or he's genuinely deranged. I can't answer that question. <laughs> uh, well, 
Is that it for the contract? Yeah, yeah so. there we go. Yeah. <laughs> Those have been put to bed. Yeah, so- solved. Yeah, done. Goodbye. Uh, Bill, something we were talking about earlier, the whole you know hipster thing. I wanted to talk to you a little bit about Mission Hill. That that show ran for two seasons, I think, on WB. Well, it, it ran for two, three, two or three episodes of the WB, and then Adult Swim. They ran the same thirteen episodes over and over and over for like a decade. Yes, there was one season of thirteen episodes, and then there were five uncompleted episodes, which you can find online or on YouTube or whatever. You know, uh, our producer Chris is a big fan of the show. I mean, I watched it uh, growing up too, and I didn't really at the time. Uh, you know, I was probably not at the age to enjoy the show. And I have not had an opportunity to rewatch it since, but he has in the past few years, and he wanted to uh, ask you something about it. Yeah, please. I mean, we were talking about this in like kind of the in the hipster discussion earlier. Uh, yeah, I watched that show a lot when it was on Adult Swim when I was young, and then I periodically re rewatch it. I probably watched the full season about once every other year. Uh, and I, I just it struck me, especially after I moved to New York in like the uh, you know early teens how I felt that a lot of the jokes and gags and observations that you were making in that about um, kind of urban youth culture, uh, I guess from your perspective, writing it would have been in the late 90s, still felt so resonant to and and honestly extremely predictive of young life in, in New York in the like 2010, 2011, 2012, and observations about Music and jobs and uh, working and um, moving into to uh, ur- urban areas. I was just wondering, like, how you thought those trends in young people, what similarities resonated over periods of time? I'm glad to hear that it that that it spoke to people in in the 2010s and whatnot because it seems like I think most of the stuff you're describing is stuff that is fairly universal to people of that age. Those, I mean, the reason we did that show was because there were no characters. This is one of the pitch points there really there are no characters between the ages of 12 and like 30 on the simpsons besides otto and so we decided we wanted to make a show that was all about characters that age mostly so it was a high school student and a guy in his 20s and the thing is that we just i would say we just took the stories from our own lives we had a great staff of writers including a number of people in their 20s and most of the stuff was just taken from real life and and so i would say that perhaps it's not that we predicted stuff so much as those are experiences that are common to people of that age uh, in any decade. Yeah, you know, just hearing that, that, that does make sense because even thinking about, like, the TV landscape in the late 90s, it was a lot, like, I guess you would say, like, Friends or something was about that age group, but that's so removed from any, like, right. observable it, reality. It's interesting that it fits in so well in an era of, like, you know, shows more like Broad City or something that would come on or would be popular in the early aughts when, like, this vast group of first quote hipsters and then when people realized that no it was just everybody under the age of 35 that was looking for some kind of representation in well, tv had what, it what's interesting right. is like it, it, at that time that you did mission hill it seems that uh when hollywood thought of like uh you know alternative youth culture they were still talking about slackers and uh, uh grunge and shit like that and the what chris is talking about i mean the show being prescient i mean aesthetically the show looks like it could have been made this year oh that's good to hear i remember one episode where uh so andy has a friend who's the the bearded guy yeah jim Uh, i remember one episode where and 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 you just jim just hangs out the the whole series until jim's like oh do you want to just come to my work and it's uh and it's a tech office that looks just like a tech office would today with all the all the all the all the gigaws and the fucking adult daycare bullshit 
And he's like, oh, yeah, I actually, uh, you know, I, I make six figures at this bullshit. You know, yeah. And Andy had no idea because he just was too self selfish to ever ask. You know, he was too self-absorbed to ever know that Jim had a job and was really incredibly successful. Yeah. And Andy, was, and Andy says, wait a minute. I thought we're not going to work. I thought we rejected that. Right. I thought everyone in my generation was, yeah, <laughs> was ha- hanging out. And, and it turns out they were all getting rich behind my back. Yeah, exactly. I think that there. I think that's a pretty common feeling, especially that scene where everybody in the elevator is talking about how they're putting down a mortgage or all this other stuff, and he's like, he can barely scrape together the money to buy malt liquor, you know? Yeah, he's using the styrofoam cup as a uh, part as a replacement tooth because he doesn't have yes. dental insurance. Yes. Yeah, I, I I just always thought that was interesting, and I guess that comes from like I, what you'd say then, and we talk about like generations a lot on this show that that then seemed like a very distinctly Gen X uh, perspective, but I think that you know even today people would really you know, resonate with that, uh, anxiety between, you know, what you want to do, what you can do in a society versus like what other people around you are doing, maybe contra to what you thought were the values that you all held. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the thing is, if this drew from, you made a good point earlier in that it was, uh, at that time you were only seeing a really glamorized version of 20 something life on TV and like friends, you know, that was, everyone was doing unrealistic, what unrealistically well and living a great life whereas we were just like the simpsons we were trying to show kind of like the realistic kind of somewhat depressing side of modern american life from this perspective and a lot of it came from like you know we were fans of of kevin smith's early films like clerks and stuff like that and also the comic books of dan klaus and and of peter bag who did a ton of great stuff like this wonderful uh, yeah that's my favorite comic book of all time and it definitely had a huge inspiration Buddy Bradley was definitely a huge inspiration for this. Geographically, what was the inspiration for Mission Hill? At least in terms of the buildings, it was Wicker Park in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. we went, I mean, the combination of the areas was like, I think we said in the pitch, it was Red Hook in Brooklyn, which at least this was, remember, this was 20 years ago. Yeah. Um, it was downtown LA uh, at that time, which also was like very much like this, like Mission Hill. And it was also Wicker Park in Chicago, which is where we took all the photos. Most of the buildings in Mission Hill are photos of, are, were drawn from photos of buildings in Wicker Park. And I have no idea what it's like now. I haven't been there for 20 years, but at the time it was pretty like, pretty much like that. And as, as long as we're uh, fanning out about, or I get to fan out about this show that ran one season 20 years ago, <laughs> I was always uh, uh, interested in hearing that you guys had plans for like 10 seasons of it where like, Andy oh yeah, would eventually become a success. And, you know, kind of have to, uh, you know, look at his values. And you did a little bit of that in the first season where he, like, becomes the, the waterbed manager and, like, gets a taste of the glamorous life. Do you know? Do you I, have any I'll idea? I'll tell you, like- yes. In fact, there had been, dis- just recently as last year, there was a discussion of doing a comic book that that picked up where the series left please, off and t- took us through it. that stuff. I will pre-order um, 100 copies. <laughs> the, the whole thing was planned out that Andy would basically change jobs every eight episodes Every season and, and gradually, gradually claw his way up to actually becoming a, a, a moderately successful kind of like indie cartoonist like Matt Groening. And then <laughs> by season 10, he would actually have become Matt Groening with his own TV show and, and, and a lot of wealth and a lot of and all the problems that came with that. Um, that was the plan for him. Kevin's was really Kevin's arc was never really planned out, but it, it was Matt uh, Matt Groening's life was yeah. the inspiration for where Andy's trajectory was. That's interesting, and I, I mean, I'm sure that that would have given you tons and tons of fodder from having spent so much time with. Yeah, him. yeah, uh, yeah. Bill, how much of the show is based on your personal experiences? Were you a, a 
uh, gentrifying hipster like Andy? No, not really. <laughs> that was it. Wasn't really based on my experiences, but thank you for asking. <laughs> then what? Uh, what? What made you want to do the project other than just that? Uh, oh, we just want to explore a different avenue of life. Did you have any kind of like personal artistic motivations? And if if I can just add to that, uh, in the, at least in that first season, do you find uh, Andy to be more sympathetic or more an object of scorn and ridicule? I think we tread. I think we tread the line fairly well like that he is like he's a very flawed person um but i think he's supposed to, we're supposed to be rooting for him but we also see his shortcomings you know that his temper he has a hot temper that he's really like he's really overprotective of his crummy cartoons and like the whole please no meat touching scene and stuff like that <laughs> like he's 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 got a lot of shortcomings but i think he gradually i think we were rooting for him to succeed oh despite them i believe as to answer your other question i think we wanted to do a show like we wanted to do a show that was more of an indie comic type of thing. And because we were huge fans of the whole independent comic scene in the nineties, we wanted to do a, a TV show based on those. And a lot of the characters just sort of came from people we knew, or especially like Carlos and Natalie are actually literally friends of ours. And, uh, I, we sort of populated it with people that we knew or types that we wanted to write for like Gus and Wally. Yeah. Well, it's a it's a wonderful little gem of a series, and I would recommend any of our listeners who have not uh, checked it out. I think all of it is on YouTube now, and it's just a very worthwhile watch. Yeah, somebody Absolutely. put like I can I got to tell you I've never received a cent from any of the DVDs or whatever, so I don't care if you watch it on YouTube <laughs> 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 or download it from BitTorrent. But I believe somebody actually put like this year put the entire series in pristine, beautiful, colorful video on YouTube, so you can watch it there. Uh, Bill, you know, just going back to you and your experiences. So you grew up in outside the outskirts of DC land, right? Yeah. Well, we moved to DC when I was 10, but from, from age, uh, from birth till age 10, I lived in a country, um, up in, 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 in a very rural part of Maryland. Uh, you were childhood friends with Josh Weinstein, right? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, you guys went to, uh, uh, Harvard together. You wrote for the Lampoon. Oh, he went to Stanford, but yeah, we oh, did, we okay. did go at the same time. Yeah. Oh, that's that's sad. But you kept in touch. Yeah, he came. He was uh, he was made an honorary member of the Lampoon, and we did a joint issue of our our respective humor magazines. And then you, uh, uh, you know, after screwing around, you ended up in L.A. and you got a writing job for The Simpsons. Yeah, there was a lot of <laughs> there was a lot of in between there. About four years of really pathetic unemployment, including when I tried to apply for the foreign service. Like the, I was going to joined the state department and i was like i, I applied we were really totally unemployed i was doing temp stuff i was getting unemployment and we i was like okay screw it i'm going to go i'm, I'm going to apply for the foreign service exam to become to work for the state department and it was so hard that i gave up and decided to go give comedy one more try like chevy <laughs> chase and spies like us that's very yeah. mission hill yeah. yeah yeah you're right uh so how did you get your break on the simpsons we wrote a this is what happened is that we had we had moved out there with um you know, the spec script, I'm, I, if you guys know what a spec script is, you have to write a yeah. sample. Basically, the coin of the realm in, in TV writing is to write a sample script for free of some show you like that then is, gets sent around to um, showrunners and, and executives to show off your writing style. And we, we moved out, out there with an episode of Coach that we had written. Remember the show Coach? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> of course. Yeah. Of course. Dauber, and baby. everybody was like – and, and fi- like people were like, oh, yeah, it's fine. And the, until finally somebody had the guts to say, guys – it's clear that you don't like the show very much. You've you've done a you've done a perfectly adequate job of mimicking the tone of this crummy <laughs> show, but that's not going to get you any work. And we were like, oh, damn. and that was when we were like, oh crap. Well, let's apply for the State Department job. But then 
we finally got we got this met this agent who was like write a show that you love write a spec script of a show that you love and it turned out that we started we wrote one for Seinfeld this was right Seinfeld had only been on for four episodes at this point and we were like nobody's seen this show and we were like okay but it's really funny let's just write a Seinfeld and that and then it was a huge hit like the weird thing is like people hadn't seen Seinfeld but they really liked the script and and it immediately got us uh, an assignment on The Simpsons um, it also got us later a job offer from Seinfeld. Um, but then, like, they liked our script on The Simpsons, and then they hired us, and then the rest is history. I like this idea of some, some snooty sommelier going, oh, this is a perfectly adequate coach. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's really valuable. Like, somebody at uh, – we later worked with that guy again, and, and he – it's really valuable to have somebody tell you the truth about stuff like that. I can't like if somebody, if people had just continued to bullshit us and say, Oh yeah, this script is fine. You know, I don't know what we'd be doing today, but it wouldn't have been this. Uh, so you guys rose to be the showrunners of the Simpsons and season seven and eight, uh, firmly a part of the later years of the, what's called the golden era of the show. Mm-hmm. And there was, you know, there is a, a definite tonal shift. Uh, at that point, right, under your tenure, where there were more conceptual episodes. There were definitely some, and I will tell you why that was. We were pretty sure the show was going to be dead within another year or two. And, like, of course, that was one of the greatest wrong predictions of all time. Like, like here it is, what, season 32 or whatever? Like, this is the thing. A TV show, no TV show lasted more than five or six seasons. Like, Cheers, what, what went like nine or ten, right? MASH went like seven or eight or something like that. When we were running the eighth season, we were like, this show only has one more season left or two. So let's have all the fun we can have. We'll do all the episodes we ever wanted to do as fans and then we'll leave. And the, and, and that's what we did. So, cause we were like, this was a rare opportunity because we were so the way that the Simpsons is set up is the network doesn't have any input and they can't, they just have to broadcast what you give them. And also Matt was busy doing other stuff. He wasn't around. Jim Brooks was busy directing his movies. He wasn't around. So Josh and I were just running the show with literally nobody to tell us what to do. And we were like, screw it. We're going to do all the crazy crap we always wanted to do as fans of this show. And, and we did it. And then we assumed the show would only go on under a year or two. And, and, that's obviously not what happened. Why did you make that assumption? Because wasn't I mean the show was massive, right? It was a massive. No, movement. no, it was not. It was not. It was not. Let me make this clear. People think that the show the show was incredibly successful in season one and two, wow. like when we were on on opposite Cosby on Thursday night or whatever. But during the during all the other years after that, from three to ten or whatever, we were coming in. We were number fifty eight or number sixty two every week, and we were roundly getting clobbered by Mad About You which was on at the same time. And like people don't forget, people forget that like the show, the ratings weren't that great amongst grownups. Like we would, as I said, we'd re- we'd always be in the fifties or sixties in terms of the show ranking for the week. We'd attract almost all of the kids, but very few grownups. And, and I think we were fairly convinced that, you know, shows that were number 58 that were as expensive as the Simpsons did not stay around for long. Well, I mean, that was the golden era of suddenly Susan too. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. But I mean that that that's fascinating. I mean, like in in terms of uh, how we perceive of culture from a present standpoint versus while it was on. Because you know, I was a kid when when these seasons were on TV, and The Simpsons was like you know the appointment viewing. I would watch it every Sunday night, absolutely, with with my family, and to this day remains a you know of the of that era like a cultural you know touchstone it's like the under is like a foundation i feel for like all of american culture basically but what i'm interested in is like you, you mentioned 
uh, Virgil mentioned like in, in these more conceptual episodes in season seven and eight, I'm thinking specifically about probably one of the most classic episodes, the 22 short films about Springfield, right? And yeah. what's fascinating to me about that is looking back on it now, how do you feel about like, like all those episodes and then I'm thinking the steamed hams moment in particular has taken on this whole other like meta second life online and specifically on Twitter through the sort of re-experience and recreation of these classic gags and moments from the show as these kind of meta textual commentaries uh, online. Uh, do you follow that or like what do you make of this this bizarre kind of um, mirror second universe for the Simpsons that exists online through memes. Yes, I follow it and I love it. And I get, I, I don't, I get dozens and dozens of mentions of it a day on Twitter. And because people, people know that I wrote the steamed hams thing. So they send me every different mix of it. And so I've seen hundreds um, and I love, I, I love it. It's just, it's crazy. As you said, it's crazy. I don't think it really started till about three or four years ago. And it kind of took on a life of its own as people, attempted to top each other by mixing up the craziest version of steamed hams or, you know, or other beams like liver and onions or the dud, which have also taken off. <laughs> yeah, the yeah. Years. And no, I mean, they're all great because the, all, all of those original gags are so funny and, and people remember them. But like, I, I just think it's fascinating the way, like the, the kind of remixing, but also I, you know, I would advance the case that of that classic era, Everything that that happens now in the real world finds its corollary somewhere in those episodes, like in that it is a kind of, uh, I don't know, it's like a Nostradamus or like a, a Rosetta Stone or something for decoding uh, American culture. Is that? I think that's well. That's probably because there's so many episodes to choose from. Although I guess most of this stuff comes from the first 200 episodes. The good um, part. There's so much stuff that has to deal with the essential phoniness of a lot of American life <laughs> that has only become more obvious mm -hmm. in the past 20 years, the essential corruptness of our institutions, <laughs> the laziness of our, of our law enforcement and the, all these other things that I think have, have become more obvious to the general public. Um, we were just kind of like lampooning them um, without a specific target. Uh, I think that it's also like, you know, Mad Magazine did the same thing. And, and, and I think that, that these, these institutions like Mad or The Simpsons that poke fun at American society only become more respected as time goes on. And you see that you, you come to understand their point of view and that you come to see the seams <laughs> that are holding everything together and the kind of decaying uh, the decaying structure that holds our society together, which we were kind of making fun of. You know, there's a kind of made a language that's evolved about the show that will is talking about that we can you can just use an image from the show with no text on it and like this is uh, uh understandable by thousands of other people following yeah do you guys uh, follow dave it's of the new york times on twitter like he puts on like two or three of these every day and he's always got the perfect one it's like you're i'm just saying exactly what you said virtual but it's totally you're totally right and, and he is, I would say that the he's the emperor of doing that right now. And there's a lot of people who, you know, they're, they're our age and they, they grew up watching the show either as the episodes came out or, or in syndication. Uh, and, you know, they go online and this it's, it's it's almost like a cargo cult has been constructed around the show that has now impacted just merely the way we talk about politics. And I'm curious what it was like for you to discover that. I would say I enjoyed. <laughs> I'd say I enjoyed it, like that. I I'm pleased that that 
this, the work that we did has resonated and, and especially because so many, so much of the material you're describing comes from those early seasons that we were either there for, or, or, you know, wrote for, or produced. I'm delighted for one. Um, but I guess in terms of your question, like, are you saying like, do I like it? Do I, what do I think about it? I, I or? guess here's what I'm getting at is, you know, in the past few years, I've seen uh, a lot of the guys from the show, you know, join Twitter, right? Like, like Mike Reese is on Twitter and, and yeah. we had him on our show to talk about his book. And I can't help but think that if people were sending Mike Reese, uh, this esteemed hams in and, and, and a totally inscrutable steamed hams meme once every hour, I don't, I can't imagine he would, understand that or or really want to delve any further into it but it seems like you just you know you logged on and you saw this and you're like oh this is great well i think that mike has for, let me just say mike has a lot better things to do than i do mike <laughs> mike mike, tra- mike travels the world and is like and 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 is, you know he doesn't have to work if he doesn't want to he's got a lot of money saved up and he's got a real vibrant social life whereas i sit at my computer for eight hours a day <laughs> at least so i'm always right on this i'm always right on the verge of of you know, I wouldn't say I'm extremely online, but I'm I'm very online, and so I am like you know every day we're oh this is that we're talking about today we're talking about John Potteretz's neutron bomb remark or whatever. <laughs> so yeah, I'm getting a I'm connected in a way that I think I can appreciate the up to the minute reference, but mainly because I'm just wasting a lot of time online, you know. <laughs> I mean the, the the steamed hams one is is the perfect example of this because it was a sort of mind-blowingly absurdist bit to begin with but now through the the memification of it i don't know if you've seen those like youtube videos where they replay the aurora borealis thing like hundreds of times they all edit it together and some like like all of it like it's become so as virgil said inscrutable and just pushed even past the limits of the originally um bizarre gag it just, I, I don't know. It just speaks to the, the internet. Uh, you, and what's, what's interesting? Seen, I have seen them. I have seen them. my favorite one is the sad one where Skinner dies at the end. And, and Chalmers is out there in the forest at the end, like camping and looking up at the sky and Seymour's there in the Aurora Borealis. That's my favorite <laughs> one. I feel like that's the one that we should end this. I, I don't want it to become tired. I don't want this to become a tired relic of 2018 where we're all like, ah, oh, remember that stupid obsession with the tams i think we should all enjoy that one and then stop doing it for a while okay one more though are you familiar with the um the irish simpsons fans the ireland simpsons fans yeah i meme love their group? account i love their stuff i don't get it half the time but <laughs> <laughs> when i do I, I love it I, I i think i follow them i i think that they are the currently the best simpsons meme producers online and and yeah, most of it is stuff about like you know Brexit or or, or uh, Irish stuff. But uh, by the way, we should look them up when we go to absolutely Ireland. lift a pint. Uh, what's interesting to me, Bill, is that you know uh, I you know I've talked to fans of this show, and they're a lot of our fans are very young. They're Generation Z, and they say you know I'm a huge fan of The Simpsons. And I can't help but think, you know, well, is your cultural touchstone different? Because are you talking about? Oh yeah, I love the season twenty episode where they go to Atlantic City. Uh, but no, they love just those episodes from the 1990s. And they say, oh yeah, they just still play just those episodes in syndication. I think that might be a function of those ones being so online. Like that those are the, those are the elements. They're the fodder for all these memes and stuff. So you want to generate a, I'll tell you for, for my experience is the, my experience with having kids these days is that kids do not know the Simpsons very well. And I'll tell you why that is because Fox shot themselves in the foot 
by not putting it on Netflix. Like this is the, like my kids and all their friends know every episodes of Bob, every episode of Bob's Burgers. They've seen them all 20 times. Every episode of Futurama, they've seen it all 20 times because they were on Netflix and they would just be on in the background playing and playing and playing. Whereas to see Simpsons online, you have to go to F Fox's FX world. You've got to log in with your cable providers thing and you've got to watch two minutes of commercials at every act break that you can't and skip. And they're edited. Yeah. You know, well, is it anyway? I think they have, they have the, the ones – but on the ones Fox, on TV, on FX the ones on World. FX. In any case, that is, I think, prevented a, lo- a, a large number of people under the age of 12 from becoming as familiar with the show as they might be. But, And what I'm thinking, Virgil, when you said that, is that maybe they know it from YouTube. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do just have a few more questions here, unless yeah, you want to jump in with something. Uh, I have to ask you this, uh, because you know we did have Mike Reese on and we asked him it too. Uh, what can you tell us about John Schwartzwelder? I'm sure Mike covered it probably better than I could. I mean... John Schwarzwelder is a, was a very talented, very unusual man. Like you, you can't like. Hmm. <laughs> well, I could just for the, I'll just say the basics to begin with. When we were working there, um, he was the, he was still back in the room every day. He is an, he was must have been probably about fifty. Um, he's tall. Uh, he was a little overweight, but pretty much the same size as me. Uh, he smoked constantly. He always wore a short sleeve shirt that was a kind of a western shirt with two pockets in the front and each pocket had a pa- package of unfiltered camels in them. He would smoke. This one you could smoke in the room. Like back in the nineties, you could smoke in the office. It was totally normal. Everybody was smoking and he had an ashtray and would smoke all day long. Um, he's a very unusual guy and that he was, he didn't really work on any other TV shows. He worked on SNL briefly. He did wrote a couple of, a couple of other scripts, but I think his humor was a little too crazy for almost everybody except for Sam Simon, I guess, who hired him probably on the recommendation of some other guys like maybe George Meyer. Um, and he also was a, just a very unusual guy. Like he never went to the movies unless it was a Stanley Kubrick movie. So he'd only go once to the movies <laughs> once every seven or nine years. Um, he didn't believe in um, exercise except that you should just run down the block as fast as you could once every week or so. Uh, <laughs> he didn't, um, he had a huge collection of historical memorabilia. And I think this is probably why he was probably able to retire. Like he had, he would invest in things from auctions. I know he had a couple. Most notably, I know he had a couple of paintings from Adolf by Adolf Hitler, from when Hitler was an artist. Um, and I also know he had thousands and thousands of old newspapers from the seventeen and eighteen hundreds. Um, I know that he also because he wasn't a kind of guy who, who who didn't spend much money at all, and so he, I believe, got pretty rich based on his writing 52 episodes of the Simpsons and with all the accompanying residuals. And he bought, I think it was, um, not Roy Rogers old house, but Gene Autry's old house and moved into it with all of his old, um, newspapers and stuff. And his brother who I heard had been, um, injured building uh, and been on disability for a number of years because he was injured building the Alaska pipeline in the seventies. And so they lived together and I don't know anything about that. Like I haven't seen him since we worked on the Simpsons together. I know he writes all those books that are hilarious mm-hmm. and he does promote them on Twitter from time to time. I'm not totally sure that's really him, yeah. but it might be. Uh, and I think that just about covers it for John Schwarzwelder. He was always a really nice guy. What was his favorite Stanley Kubrick film? Are you, are you, do you know? I don't know. I think he was moderately disappointed. The only one that came out during the time that I knew him was Full Metal Jacket, and I believe he was moderately disappointed by that. <laughs> <laughs> That's a shame. 
what was he like in a writer's room? I mean, did, did he do, you know, sit and do punch ups and things like that? He was pretty like it's interesting because there's some guys who never shut up in the writer's room. Like Conan, for instance, was in the writer's room and Conan is always on and like he's always really fun. Not to say not to criticize him because you want you got to have some guys like that in the writer's room or it just kind of drifts into oblivion. He was one of those guys who was quiet until he had a great line. So he would sit there and smoke and then maybe he would speak once every 10, eight or 10 minutes, but it would always be the line that went in. I, yeah, I read that. He's, he wrote the script to Homie the Clown and that pretty much aired with virtually no you know punch-ups or line changes. Uh, it's pretty close. He didn't really, like, I wouldn't say that his the room was his forte. It's the first drafts that were his forte. Yeah. Like, he wrote his first, like, and I think he preferred to be at home too, especially after they banned smoking. Like, that was a yeah. huge <laughs> issue. Like, it, it was like around 93 that they, they banned smoking in workplaces and for a brief period they tried to get him these those ashtrays that you know the smokeless ashtrays and that worked for about a day and a half and then david merkin who just really couldn't stand the smoke was like he just writes scripts from home so he wrote a lot of great scripts during that time and the thing about Schwarzwalder is like he's going to give you a script with 90 hilarious jokes that no one else could have come up with it's just that you have to provide him with the superstructure that handles the emotions and the character <laughs> development because that's that's not his that's not female his forte. character like that's that would be John Vitti's forte for example yeah and Schwarzwalder like so when we were running the show we would try to give Schwarzwalder uh, scripts that that already had that built in or ones that didn't need it like the prohibition one where we were just like screw it there's not going to be any character development it's not going to be realistic at all <laughs> oh god that's that is one of my all time with- favorites by the way. That's one really stands yeah, was, out in my head. That was another one that was probably, I don't know, 70% his first draft. Maybe there's something to Schwarzweiler's uh, a total rejection of modernity in his personal life that made him such a, a uniquely good writer. I think like he really, if you wanted old-time style jokes, he could really deliver them. And like he did, did you, have you guys ever seen Pistol Pete? That was the pilot he did. Yes, that's very yeah, good. Very funny and, and completely uncommercial. He also wrote another one, which I loved. That God, it really makes me mad because so many great pilots were written during those days, like by George Meyer and Schwarzwalder, that just 20th, just like threw right in the trash. Um, and he wrote this great one about two young, two little kids. And one of them was named Augie. And it was just kind of a it was a real nostalgic kind of American, uh, you know, comedy show about two misbehaving kids. But like it was hysterical. And it was another thing that was just obviously like went way over the heads of those executives and they completely ignored it. Uh, Bill, I, I know we're running out of time. I just wanted to ask you a handful of questions, uh, more, you know, King Solomon stuff for us. Okay. All right, let's do it. Okay. <clears throat> In episode 3F03, <laughs> Lisa the Vegetarian, Ralph, when told to go to sleep, says, Oh boy, sleep. That's where I'm a Viking. This line can be interpreted in two distinct ways. Ralph could be saying he's literally a Viking in his dreams, or Viking here could be figurative, meaning something like virtuoso, which is correct. Okay, I want to say I didn't write that line. I wasn't even in the room for that episode. It was a David Merkin episode. But based on my knowledge of The Simpsons, I think the first one is correct. Thank you. Thank you. Once again, vindicated. Well, it sounds like we've got to talk to David Merkin. (laughs) All right. In episode 3F23, you only move twice. Hank Scorpio throws out his shoes and asks Homer, ever see a guy say goodbye to a shoe? Uh, I know where this one's going. To which Homer replies, yes, once. Is Homer referring to what Scorpio just did or to a prior shoe-throwing incident? Okay, I've answered this online a number of times, but I'm happy to do it for you guys because I can be super clear. It is disputed. 
Because the answer is that this, that was not in the script. A, a huge amount of the interaction between Scorpio and Homer was improvised yeah. by Albert and Dan Castellaneta. That line was not in the script. It was improvised, um, and Josh was directing them. And here's what happened. Josh and I always thought it was referring to a previous incident. However, Dan Castellaneta, who made up the line, says he was referring to what Scorpio did right then. So there you go. Wow. Wow. <laughs> There's no clear answer. It's because the two sources, the showrunners and the person who made up the line, disagree. And I think given that Dan made up the line, you're going to have to – it leans toward him. Uh, my last one, and this is one I just figured out from my conversations with Matt. Yeah, when, when Virgil pointed this out, it broke my brain a little bit. So – uh, in the like in the four golden era uh, episodes that are flashback episodes that show the evolution of uh, the family, uh, it's pretty clear that you know based on the ages of the characters, uh, Homer and Marge met uh, when they were eighteen, when they're seniors in high school or thereabouts. Uh, in the present day of the show, they're thirty-five. Uh, Bart is ten, meaning that uh, Marge had Bart when she's around twenty-five, and that's when they get married. A big part of Marge's character is that she's had these kind of unfulfilled ambitions, you yes. know? It's the sort of implication that, like, if this were more rooted in reality, they would have, like, had the kid when she's 18, right? right. They would yeah, have gotten married the thing then. Is she didn't go to college, and she married Homer because she got knocked up. Right. So there's just this whole seven-year courtship Yeah. that... And, you know, I, I realize that th- these are the sort of things that were that were mostly determined before your time, maybe even before they even, you know, the episodes uh, even began to air. I'm just curious to get your thoughts on that. Have you ever th- felt that was a, a, a gap or just, you know, a conflict? Wait a minute. Didn't I, I can't I don't remember this. Wasn't was Marge pregnant when they got married or not? Yes. yes. But when she was 25. Well, I mean, only if you assume that they're 35 and I think it was said several times that they're 35, then instead of them getting together in high school and getting knocked up shortly after that they spend five or six years together maybe seven where they do not get where she's not pregnant but presumably she doesn't have a job or go to college and homer has an unspecified job Uh, what were they doing she's still guys i have never thought about that until this very minute i don't know what I, i don't know what you're talking about. I mean, I do know what you're talking about, but I have, I, I can't believe that that wasn't covered in some later. This is like the fact that they never covered Jesus Christ's like adolescence in the Bible. Like, yeah. Those like, that's exactly here. Is. Yeah. it honestly just comes down to the fact that Homer shouldn't be 35. He should be in his late twenties. Problem is that just doesn't scan. Right. Right. For a guy who looks like him. they do actually. And I, I found this out, uh, totally by, by happenstance, uh, they do actually cover it in a later episode. The one where they retcon it and Homer becomes a grunge musician. Oh, wow. Okay. <sighs> yeah, we, we've, we've discovered an error in the <laughs> Simpsons. Virgil's no so happy right now. No canon. No canon. Also, yeah, I mean, it's hard. Like, those, I just say that those guys are doing yeoman's work in trying to craft this era where Homer was born in 1985 or whatever now. Like, I, Jesus Christ! When we were writing Homer, he was written, he was written like our parents, and our parents had been born in the 1930s, you know. <laughs> and so, like they, like he was like sitting. The prototypical Homer moment for me is like Homer sitting alone in the car, going do 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 do, singing Little Spanish Flea to himself, <laughs> which is something that only our parents would have done. And, and and like my dad is 90 years old now, so like 
I think we were really writing Homer as someone who really should be in his 80s or 90s now. (laughs) Well, I'm excited for the next flashback episode that shows how Marge rose up through the ranks of the DSA and uh, Homer is a a famous Twitch streamer. (laughs) Perfect. I think that about does it. Yeah. Thank Uh, you very much for uh, talking to us, Bill. Bill Oakley, Guys, th- my pleasure. Thank you for enlightening us on uh, fast food, and also for helping to create uh, probably the all-time greatest television show ever. Yeah, way to go on that. Good, thank good you. work. Kudos. Good work. Kudos, Kudos, Kudos Bill. Thank you. Well, you guys all know, and I'm sure your listeners know where to find me on Twitter and on Instagram if they like fast food reviews at that Bill Oakley. At that Bill Oakley, not this Bill Oakley, <laughs> but that Bill Oakley. We Correct. will include links in the show description. Once again, Bill, thank you so much for talking to us. Till next time. It's my pleasure. Two, Bye. Three, Bye-bye, guys.